This is Colonia Cast, episode 25. Uh, you can find us at theturtleroom.org slash coloniacast, where you can learn more about our program as well as access the Colonia Cast Student Research Fund. Today, we're really excited. We've got Crystal Griffiun on. Uh, she's the director of the Encore Center for Conservation of Biodiversity, as well as Sita Som, who works for WCS Cambodia in freshwater sort of conservation management. Both of them have done a lot of work with, with turtles and tortoises, specifically in Cambodia. Uh, we're really excited to talk to them today about uh, some of the work that they do, the research, the field experiences, and, and kind of the, the, the turtle species that occur in a, this really interesting country. And uh, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having us. Thank you, and to everyone. <laughs> To get us started, we always ask pretty much the same question. What got you both interested in turtles, and then what made you pursue the more conservation route? You want to start? Yeah. Uh, sorry, I can start. I can start first. Uh, so um, it's um, I I really. I think uh, I started uh, working with turtles uh, accidentally. Probably, I been uh, in the in my in I was in the college, and, and suddenly there was a, a interesting project came to me, and then saying, "Hey, uh, uh, well, there is a there's some some kind there was a, a project on turtle research, and I was like interesting because uh, when I was young, this part of my uh, part of my knowledge on total when I was in the rice field, in the in the rivers, go uh, fishing. That's that the top of the total is one of the animal that we I normally caught with my father or uh, uh, brother. So it uh, when the when the project came to to me at the college to conduct the research for my thesis. So it's I think it start from there and uh, it's very. Very interesting. <laughs> Thank you. How about you, Chris? That's that's pretty interesting. That sort of the the sort of experience in the field, right? You get out and find them when you, sort of you you're younger, and and that kind of inspires you, right? That's sort of yeah, kind of a cool. My story is slightly different. We don't have turtles in our ponds uh, back in in the Netherlands. Um, but I, um, I started my career as a zookeeper and then I came to Cambodia. I've always been interested in, 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 uh, in reptiles and in turtles, um, but never worked with the species. And then I came to Cambodia and started working for the, uh, the ACCB. And that's where I really started working with turtles more and more and, and learned more with them and just kind of found out how cool they really are. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to go back to anything else. Um, I mean, Animals are amazing, but turtles in, in, in particular are really um, super interesting to me. Yeah, yeah that, that's yeah. interesting uh, that you came, came from sort of the Netherlands to, to Southeast Asia. That's got to be kind of a sort of a, a culture difference, right? How is it to kind of get used to that? What was that like sort of? Um, there's definitely a culture difference there, 
but one that I embraced because um, I liked uh, the pace of life here. I like how in Cambodia, in Southeast Asia, people are um, not stressing so quickly. They, they're more relaxed. It's, you know, there might be a problem, but we'll deal with the problem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we don't fix it today, it's going to be fixed tomorrow. There's no need to stress so much. The, whereas back in, 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 in Europe and Holland, the pace of life is much faster. Everyone is, is stressing much more. Um, so I, I prefer working in, in Asia and the people here are amazing, the food is amazing, uh, countryside, nature is beautiful, um, so yeah, I, I like it here, I like it here. It, it just, you need to adjust, I mean there's always things and, and even in, in my team, my colleagues, um, I'm, I am not from Cambodia, um, the language is, is difficult, it's really hard to, to understand and learn to speak. And also in my day-to-day -day, uh, way of, of working and, and even though I try to adjust as much as I can, I still am, am, am I grew up, you know, in, in Dutch culture. I learned to work in Dutch culture. So I can't let that go completely. I am not Cambodian, um, but I embrace how open the people here are to, to learning new things as well and open day are accepting um, people from a different background. That's really interesting, yeah. <laughs> Crystal, you mentioned the ACCB. Maybe you could talk a bit more about sort of what the ACCB focus is and what sort of research, it, or I guess if there's sort of an XC2 I think a lot of the projects are sort of in situ focused, but maybe you could give us sort of a, an overview of what ACCB does. Um, I can, yeah, sure. Um, so the ACCB is a conservation center from the Allwetter Zoo in Münster uh, in Germany. And um, it was established in 2003 and initially really focused on the rescue and rehabilitation of native species to Cambodia. And over the years, um, we've noticed and, and seen that need for the for uh, protecting turtles, um, and today our focus is very heavily on uh, on turtles and tortoises, and also on um, water bird species, especially um, giant ibis, white-shouldered ibis, greater adjutant and Bengal florican uh, for um, endangered, critically endangered species of birds here in Cambodia, um, and. We still do a lot of rescue and rehabilitation, especially of those, those endangered, critically endangered species, but mainly our focus has shifted to um, exitu management of um, animals. So the majority of the work we're doing is, is the exitu conservation of, of critically endangered and endangered species, focusing mainly on turtles and the bird species I just mentioned. Um, and then we're doing the rescue rehabilitation and release where, where possible. We focusing heavily on education, education of um, Cambodian people, national tourists, international tourists that want to see the center and the work we're doing, but also outreach and awareness um, of, of government uh, authorities, rangers on preliminary care of animals that are being rescued. Um, we're working closely uh, on, with, with the monks, the Buddhist monks on capacity building there so that they are um, in a better position to share their environmental knowledge with the general public. Um, we do um, education for, for children, school groups, 
um, that want to come to the center, we would go to them if that is if that's required. And then another section of the work we're doing is is research. Um, research has always been a slightly smaller aspect of our work, not less important, but um, it's it's not where our expertise is. We do work with other NGOs uh, and on um, the, the, the culture protection uh, work here in Korea and on virtual this monitoring as well. And now we're more and more collecting data on the turtles that we are having in activity in our, in our center, our insurance colonies, um, measurements and, and uh, incubation uh, records that we're collecting. Um, and also with our current um, reintroduction programs, implementation programs that we're looking at for turtles and that we're trying to set up, there is a, a heavy research uh, aspect to that side as well. Uh, but that is really just all just starting and it's going to take a little while before we're having that completely upgoing and um, have, are able to publish any of the information that we're gathering. But what uh, what species of turtles do you primarily work with? Um, so we currently have nine different species of turtles at the center, um, all native uh, to Cambodia. Um, I can give the whole list, but the, the main species that we're focusing on is the Batagora finis at the Mollyud, and that's where uh, Sita and I are working a lot together. Um, so ACC and WCS are working on that. WCS is obviously focused um, exit of breeding and assurance colony for the species, but an ACCB is hurting some of those animals and uh, is having a breeding colony as well for uh, Batagora finis. Um, we are focusing on Hoyosinus uh, grandis. Um, we have a breeding um, group of those. Uh, we have Hoyosinus anandali, um, assurance colony, not breeding yet, unfortunately. Um, we have Indodestudio elongata, which we have a, a large breeding program for, and that's where WCS and ACCB are collaborating on an uh, augmentation project for the species. Uh, first off, in, uh, in Cambodia, soft release. Um, and we have uh, Cora monensis camaroma uh, breeding as well, and we started releasing there. Um, and then we have um, several other species uh, of leaf turtles, and we have um, Sibin Rukiella Casicolas as well. So we have several species, but the, the first ones are really the ones that we're heavily focused on. Um, also, because that's where we actually have males and females, so that helps uh, if you want to start breeding um, as well. And well, all that, the animals. So, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to mention that all the animals that are at the center are coming. Are rescued from the illegal trade um, or donated to the center, so none of the animals are being captured from the wild or any breeding programs um, at all. And, and animals that are being released back as the first uh, generation captive form. Well, it's interesting you've got sort of both sides, sort of the ex situ work, but then also CETA, you're doing more kind of the in situ side with WCS. I guess we're sort of covering a lot of different bases there, but uh, maybe CETA, you could tell us a little bit about kind of the work that you've been doing with WCS with turtles. And I know that a lot of that is more kind of field-based and, and maybe even how that kind of complements what, what ACCB is doing. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you. Uh, we um, actually, I, you're right. I, I've been uh, working on total like since 2004, and that's when I, when I mentioned that uh, it, uh, when it start, when it started, uh, interest me to work in total. When, uh, when I, when I finish my, uh, when I, at my at the, at the university, I started the research on the total, and then I. I realized that corals uh, uh, conservation is really a, a big factor. I mean, uh, not not many people know about total, do research about total, and not. I think yeah, uh, probably I'm kind of the first one. Yeah, the the Khmer people conducting the research on total in 2004. So uh, it it was like when. And throughout my research, I found out that uh, totals are being uh, threatened by many factors like uh, illegal hunting uh, uh, and people collecting total for uh, for food, for consumption, for medicine, for trading. So that the kind of uh, uh, the information that uh, keep me going with the uh, working with total. So yeah, and I started with the uh, with the Cambodian total conservation team, which was uh, supported mainly by the conservation leadership program uh, and part, part of the conservation international. And um, I did a lot of research on uh, different uh, species uh, distributions. Uh, composition and threats in in many different locations in Cambodia and uh, 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 so it we just like the research mainly like just uh, in general working to uh, looking with, uh, for example the what what kind of species in the cardamoms. Uh, what kind of species in the eastern plain of Cambodia, in the Tunle Sap Lake, uh, in the um, uh, pre long wildlife century? That's the kind of stuff I've been working on. But uh, right, and, and right now, uh, we, I, I am focusing on a lot on the field uh, conservation, mainly uh, into uh, two quickly uh, uh, endangered species uh, in uh, Royal Toro, uh, the, the Badgarfinist, Gustav uh, just mentioned, and uh, uh, Asian giant social turtle along the Mekong River, the country giant, uh, the, <coughs> what we call country giant social turtle. And that's the main, two main species I've been focusing on right now. But we also do have a cooperation with uh, ACCB on the institute conservation. Like uh, Crystal mentioned that uh, we've been working together like since more than 10 years, I think, on uh, <coughs> uh, working up to breed uh, and head start the the, the, the affinities. And I think uh, until now it's been quite successful. We start to have a very good result from that. <laughs> Thank That's you. been a very good year, actually, for the Batagraphinus um, breeding program. So last year, WCS had the first offspring, uh, and, and ACCB, we had eggs, but they did not hatch. Um, 
And this year, both WCS and ACCB had Patagora Finnis of Spring, captive bred. Um, so that was many, many years of work finally paying off. That um, was really nice wow. to, wow. to see that happen. Uh, yeah, with both facilities as well, yeah. That's a, a really interesting sort of project and, and really happy to hear that it's the, the sort of productivity is kind of on, on the rise there. It's sort of similar, I guess. We were talking to Steve Platt a, a, a while back and he's doing with the, the Vatiger Trivitata, sort of the head starting uh, kind of, I, I guess, even nest protection of the wild, but then also sort of that exidu component where he's they're actually bringing the eggs in and then and, and incubating them sort of ex situ and then releasing them. Uh, but kind of an interesting, is that sort of the, I guess, even with the founder sort of individuals for that program, uh, what's kind of the story behind that, if you don't mind sharing it? Yeah, I think uh, 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 the, the, the Butterfly Affinity Conservation Project I started in something early 2000. And I think uh, Steel Platt is uh, the one who uh, led, the, led the research and, and rediscovered the uh, uh, the species uh, in the, in the Scramble River system, and partly uh, in cooperation with the government of Cambodia, the fishery administration, and I think also fishery uh, forestry administration. So I think it started from there. He he, he really uh, 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 gave us the 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 start point, and then in it's it's been more than 20 years right now <laughs> yeah well, and uh, so in, in i think uh, last year like crystal mentioned where uh, last year the the first year we uh, we had the first uh, hatchling from the uh, breeding program and i think we we did really name the the hatchling as still but I, I'm sure I think, throughout the throughout the year we have been we have a, a lot of um, uh, total experts from across the world, like especially from America, like Brian Horn, like uh, Andrew Wall and uh, Loni Maskowski and Rick Hudson coming just uh, <laughs> helping a lot in uh, in the process. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so Sita, you know much better the number of turtles that have been buttercourt that have been released in, in the WCS project. But in 2016 is when the first turt buttercourt came to ACCB from the head starting program of WCS. So before ACCB had two founder animals already, um, buttercourt finished. But then the first head starting animals came from WCS in 2016. and those went back last year or the, the meals uh, went back last year for release so end of last year we transferred them back and they will they have been released or will be released uh, shortly sita knows exactly um when they are due to go but now we're having a good um breeding program going breeding numbers good number of females with some males at accb and we have founder animals and head started animals forming their breeding uh, population at ACCB and the same at WCS. So there is founder animals that are also breeding and not only head started animals. 
but the number of eggs that are collected from the wild um, or, or protected in the wild, there's barely any nest left. Um, did, you, did you have any, any nest this year, Sita? You mean uh, in the field? Yeah, in the field. Yeah, unfortunately yeah, not this year. So it uh, it been uh, uh, unlucky lucky year for our institute conservation program. We because um, usually we usually we had like uh, one uh, one or three nests per year, but uh, it's, it's unfortunately it's not this year. Yeah, yeah. So it really uh, showed that uh, the number in the in the in the wild is really uh, 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 not many. I, I mean, and uh, we do hope that uh, throughout the uh, last few year uh, release uh, uh, reintroduction program, we hope that uh, um, those uh, release animals will start. Uh, to breed and then um, bring back a number of nests and hatchling in the wild. That uh, what, that what we are hoping for. <laughs> what are so that's pretty interesting. I, I there's a paper I think that that talks about kind of the conservation genetics of Batagora finis, and in there they estimate. I, I believe that this is the same paper. They estimate the number of living individuals based on some sort of genomic approaches. I, I don't know what the, the current estimate of how many are currently in the wild is. Obviously that's a tough thing sort of to pin down, but, and, and then now that you're doing kind of the head starting, you're adding a lot to that. But do you have sort of a rough estimate of how many are actually left in the shramble or? So uh, for the, I, it's, it's a very uh, hard question to estimate. I, I mean, uh, in the wild, because we we haven't done any uh, really uh, population estimate really uh, study. But uh, in in terms of what we have uh, released them into the wild right now, we 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 have released like one hundred forty-seven individuals, both male and females. And I think they they will reach uh, uh, maturity within uh, a few years, and and but uh, for the last uh, few year we estimated that uh, probably less than five breeding females in the world, and but I'm sure that this number will will increase uh, very soon because uh, we've been. Yeah, putting them a lot back into yeah, the wild. The, the head starting, head started animals that are now in captivity, they have reached maturity. So they started reproducing, reproducing. So if they do that in captivity, then it's likely that they will soon do that in the wild as well. And the animals that are in the head starting program and have been released are of similar age to the ones that are stay, that stayed behind in the um, assurance colonies. So we should we should start seeing some reproductive females um, from those that have been uh, had started and released. At what age are they are they beginning to reproduce? Um, so the, the females that we are having at the center from the head starting program, they are born in 20, 2006. 
so they are now, how old are they now then? Something like that. 14? 14, 15. No, 16. 16. 16. 16. Yeah, 15, 16. Yeah. So, I see now per research from Dr. Chen in Malaysia, it seems like female the wild female would reach uh, maturities uh quite late quite late in in the wild than than those individuals in uh, captivity yeah so i think we 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 expect to have our because we've been put them in the wild for i think maybe they might be take some maybe uh few few more years less yeah. than, than the one in captivity Probably. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, they're not going to get as big as fast. And maybe that's sort of a certain size is kind of a trigger for sexual maturity. And that, that, that kind of throws things off a bit. I even wonder too, sometimes I think there was some work that was done with sliders that showed that for females, that age is more of a predictor for kind of sexual maturity, whereas males, it's more of a size cut off which that might have some sort of kind of sexual selective advantage, but I, I, that's even sort of debatable, but maybe that occurs in, in river terrapins. I, I don't know, but something interesting. It, it'd be tough, obviously, kind of to track that with the small amount that exists. How about uh, like the sort of assurance, how many are actually in uh, like assurance colonies? Uh, I guess maybe an estimate of how many head starts there are or, or these are kind of, I guess, basic questions, but I'm just kind of curious what the, the current numbers are because it's sort of hard to, to come across that information. So uh, right, right now we have um, uh, almost 200 individuals in captivity uh, in the Kokong Reptile Conservation Center. That includes Matthew uh, and the hatchlings. And ACCB, we have way less space than uh, WCS has. We have 11 animals uh, in our, our insurance colony and our breeding program. Um, that's what, what we can have space for. So maybe 200, 200, a little bit more than 200 animals. Wow, that's, that's pretty good for that's cool. That's, that's good to hear. And how about, I, I'm curious too about sort of the field experience uh, in, in, in actually looking for these turtles in, in, in C2, I guess, in the wild. What is it like to, to come across one or to track one? And what, what is it sort of the full experience in the field? What's the habitat like? Is it, it what is that whole sort of, that, that kind of experience in looking for them and, and, and how does that, I don't know, kind of, that's got to be sort of a surreal thing that a lot of turtle biologists kind of dream of doing. But So uh, I think uh, we, we have the team uh, actively uh, track them monthly after release. And um, we, what we are trying to look into, into is that uh, we want to see where they are moving to from, for example, the uh, soft relief pan and then uh, we're looking into the top of the habitat so that the stuff we are we have recorded um, 
So basically, they they just like move like to move downstream, which is mostly the mangrove habitat, and with the estuarine uh, uh, vegetation, brackish um, uh, water, and and then when uh, mostly and during the rainy season and uh, dry season, normally they they going upstream. Uh, it it because like um, the 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 high salinity of water push them from the from the sea push them up. I don't think they they can bear with the sal high salinity, and um, yeah, I think the type of habitat they it, it consists of like uh, flooded forest, riparian forest, the uh, flooded uh, vegetation, and. Um, and uh, of course, they really like sandbanks, especially for the for the breeding females. Yeah, and uh, just just to mention, like uh, we we found a few of the individual travel so far away from from the the from the from the location that we released, like almost uh, one hundred kilometer away from the from the release site. So it's. Amazing. Well, that's an impressive amount of movement for a freshwater turtle. I had a question about the Chantor's uh, giant softshell turtles. What is their like status in the wild, and how large do they actually get in their, their body size? And how do you catch? How do you actually catch them? <laughs> like, yeah, I, uh, I. I think that uh, after uh, working with the with the uh, the social the giant social troll along the way Kong River, I think that the the I can say that uh, Cambodia probably uh, holds the 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 biggest uh, population of this species uh, across the country home ranks. I mean. Uh, Different across uh, many different countries uh, for the species, like and uh, every year we uh, we we protected um, uh, a lot of nests. Last this year we got like uh, forty two nests. Uh, it uh, it consists of like uh, uh, more than a thousand hatchlings this year. And um, so, for the last, for example, for the last five years, we uh, we protected like more than four thousand five hundred hatchlings. So that's a very very good uh, number of the hatchling we have protected uh, so far. So, in, from two thousand seven until now, we protected more than thirteen thousand hatchlings. Which is a lot uh, compared to uh, our Badaga Affinis. But uh, it's also a lot of, as well compared to other countries. I think, uh, like India, uh, a friend there uh, just like recently uh, rediscovered the species in India. And like, he's, it was like so amazing. And it seemed like the, the population there is so, so low. Uh, and I hope the the with the with the uh, conservation uh, uh, intervention it might be a lot better. But uh, in terms of the the how how big the population of these species in Cambodia, it's 
it's really hard to say. Art, <laughs> um, when you, it's pretty interesting to, for the size as well as the species. There's a lot of sort of tall tales of really large softshell turtles, but when it comes to the Palakalis, it doesn't seem like they get nearly as large as some of the the Keetra and, and, and those other species, but what is, do you have a size record on hand or like what is the average size of the, the turtles? And like, like Jack said, how are you actually catching them? Because they're small soft shells are hard enough to get the, the Apollone here. I can't imagine what a 25 plus inch soft shell is, is like trying to, to get your hands on. I think uh, I I'm not I'm not really entirely sure how how big they can reach, but uh, per the uh, compared to the record they put into the the put they put for the species like, but uh, the I think the biggest one we caught in two thousand seven it's something like around um, it's something like almost eighty centimeters. Which is uh, I don't know how how many how many in it's like thirty inches. In it's gigantic. Like it, that's why we call we call him giant. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, per per local people, they they said like more than one meter. But I think our record say like uh, the in the field guys and say like more around one one meter in. Yeah. in in maximum lengths, I think. Yeah, it's just sometimes you sort of wonder where a lot of that, that data kind of comes from, right? It's, it's sort of speculative until it's really proven. But th that's interesting that you've got one that's just shy of, just shy of a meter. That's that's pretty interesting. And, and the, you said that the population is pretty robust in Cambodia. What, why is that? Is that have they not been hunted as as much of an extreme, or why is it that the, I guess in the Mekong or just the the rivers in in Cambodia that they're more kind of secure, or is that just kind of speculation? Yeah, I think uh, the, so. Um, our conservation program really started from uh, two thousand seven. So I think before that. Um, we do have uh, fishery, fishery immigration uh, who really their job to protect the fishery resources in, along the river, and that also includes the tourists. So uh, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, illegal fishing going on there. But in I think yeah, like you're right. Maybe in terms of the the complication of the of the river, the it's so large of the river, the and the length of the river and the the dip of the river, that the kind of uh, thing that um, might be uh, uh, a good opportunity for the specific strike. And, I think also. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, Sita. I just want to add that uh, in from 2007, we, we've been uh, putting a lot of uh, efforts to conserve species. So many uh, conservation interventions like uh, we supporting government to to do uh, law enforcement, the uh, regular patrols along the species habitat. And we, we've been uh, doing a lot of education to uh, local school, to, to villagers, 
and we've been doing a lot of uh, livelihood uh, alternatives like providing some uh, livelihood uh, uh, alternative to people to earn some money to reduce pressure to the to the species in the river and we also um, do like uh, yeah, like I mentioned, we have a very successful uh, net protection program where we recruit a lot of uh, former egg collectors to be our net protector. So, uh, and we pay them like it's not very, not very, uh, very high money if we, if we, if we can say that, but uh, they really happy to. They've been uh, turned. We really turned them from hunter to uh, to uh, protector. So, which is a very good, very good successful for the for the species conservation right now. Good. good. Yeah, I was gonna just add to that because they, the area where where the country soft shell turtle lives is also an area where the area where the uh, dolphin lives. And there's other organizations within Cambodia and the government uh, also protecting the river for the dolphin species. So I think this, the turtles are benefiting from the conservation work that is actually being done on the habitat for conserving the turtles, to, uh, the, conserving the dolphins to an extent as well. Um, I mean, I'm convinced that without the hard, the, all the work that WCS would have, have put in since 2007, the turtle species um, wouldn't be having the numbers that they are now, but I, I do believe that just the conservation of that habitat in general by for the for the dolphins is definitely benefiting the turtles um, too. Right, that's interesting. What, what sort of spatial scale are we talking about? Is this like a specific segment of? Of this, it's the uh, the make. Are we working the Mekong or? So uh, right right now we we uh, our uh, conservation program program for the species is uh, only on along the Mekong River, which is uh, it 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 stretches across uh, two provinces uh, in Cambodia, and I think it's um, the it's more than uh, more than fifty kilometers long. That, uh, but uh, we also have the the species in other other small rivers that connected to the Mekong River as well. But uh, we haven't been do we have not uh, done uh, much research over there. But uh, we have our collaborator from the Royal University of Phnom Penh did a did a research there, and then they found some. I mean, a few nice over there. That's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's good. And then, uh, Crystal, you said that you have the, the canter soft shells at ACCB. I, I, I recall. Have you noticed anything interesting about sort of the, their behaviors? I guess, and because in captivity, right, you're getting kind of this window that a lot of researchers don't necessarily kind of have. Have you? What is what is their kind of day to day like? So it's actually a species that we do not have. Um, oh. we, occasionally, we occasionally get them in through rescue um, and then it's often removing fish hooks. Um, 
and then and then we release them afterwards. Um, the center is just not set up to um, with with the, the right enclosures and ponds and habitats for keeping soft shell turtles for a long period of time. Um, they're just too sensitive, and um, it's not not good. We can't provide them right now the welfare that they that they require and that they deserve. So we usually we take them in, we rehabilitate them, and then we release them. Um, and that's in com uh, collaboration with WCS or other um, NGOs that are working in that area that are working with the communities that hear about um, the, the turtles being in need of, of rescue. Whenever we do receive animals, it is difficult to handle them, um, but we try to take measurements where, where we can um, to just collect some data. Um, but the, the, the counters that we've received were smaller, um, not that large as Sita was talking about. Uh, we uh, we used to uh, have some individual uh, brought from the from the field, and then we did some. Uh, we put them in our uh, shoe tanks, and then we did some uh, come uh, with live camera and observation, and, and I think, and we found out that uh, the, the species is really uh, like to bury themselves in yeah. the sand and it's like this mostly spend uh, almost 95 percent of the time uh, uh, hiding in the sand so that uh, one of the behavior we really, we really observe from those uh, in captivity that's that's interesting it makes sense i guess they're sort of so you can kind of build for that morphologically. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, like the, the canner soft shells and the river terrapins, I think that they maybe get more publicity than a lot of other species, but Cambodia is very kind of colonial rich. Maybe we can talk about some of the other species. One that was particularly interesting, uh, I was looking through some even past work that you've done, Sita, and it seems like the yellow-headed temple turtle is another one that's kind of maybe doesn't get as much attention, but is also kind of in potentially some some kind of a bad situation conservation-wise. And what is kind of known about the the temple turtles in Cambodia, and what's the, sort of the current status? I guess. Yeah, I thank you, Michael. Um, I did some uh, research, especially uh, in the southwest of Cambodia, and. I think of, of, uh, this species is, uh, is one of my favorite uh, turtles. It's beautiful. And I feel like, I feel sorry for the species because uh, they, they've been, uh, uh, they've been really uh, uh, a target species for, uh, for traders and traffickers. And we every year, I think uh, we found some of the animal uh, end up in the trade. And I think uh, the 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 species, the species in population uh, really declining because um, not much uh, conservation attention put into this uh, specification. And. Uh, we found that uh, in in the in the along the coast air, coastal area, flooded flooded forests, uh, flooded mangroves, 
uh, Muluka Forest, uh, the, the top of this uh, good habitat for the species that we should uh, put more effort to conserve the species. And although we haven't done much since then, but uh, uh, per the per, per uh, uh, confiscation report, uh, we we feel that uh, this species is going down a lot. That uh, that we need uh, as a conservationist total uh, conservationist or funding opportunity to put more effort to conserve this species. I think yeah, Crystal has something to say about that. No, I I agree with what you're saying, Sita. I think what is needed for that species and for many other species in Cambodia, uh, if we're talking turtles, um, is, is just population densities and, and assessments of what, what are, how many are there left, where are they, um, because the trade is, is still so big here in Cambodia and so many species are not showing up on the trade anymore, which is scaring, uh, scary to me because if you don't see them on the trade, then that means they, they're not being found because people don't dig very deep to try to find certain species. They take whatever they see most of. Um, and so ACCB has an assurance colony of 14 um, uh, yellow temple turtles. But of those 14, all come from the trade, but there's only four females and only two of those are of reproductive age and size and they are not breeding. Um, so we, we obviously were trying very hard and we hope um that will be successful next year um it's that's really we, we hope is all we can do we can't make them make them breed um you know they've been they've been through so much getting to us the whole illegal trade is, is so messy um that by the time animals get to us they sometimes need years before they uh they start reproducing um but yeah it's it's not it's not going well for the species i don't i don't believe i'm, I'm really concerned about the species and i think um, like Sita mentioned, um, it's important to start finding out what's, what is happening in the wild, where are the animals and how many are there left, um, while we at, at the SCCB continue to do our, try to breed the species so that we can um, build up a, a, you know, head start a colony and we can start reintroducing back into protected areas. And we, we are for other species, but for this species, we just haven't been successful yet. Right, yeah, right. and on, on the subject of like doing more surveys to like tell like how, how well these animals are actually doing in the wild, I'm interested in whether you guys know about the status of the black marsh turtle, the Seaman Rachiella crassicolis, yeah. because that's a very cryptic species and it's hard to assess. You know, I wonder if you guys know anything more about them, how they're doing in Cambodia. I'm going to look at Sita. Sita is the, the institute specialist here. We we have them at the center. We have a couple of them at ACCB. Um, and we had one female drop an egg this year, but it was in the water. Uh, so hopefully next breeding season was also at the very end of the season. Um, so hopefully she might still have eggs and, and drop them uh, in, in sand, but hopefully Next year, that could be a first for ACCB to breed a species and then start a colony and have animals starting to be able to release. But um, yes, yeah, Sita, I'm leaving it up to you to talk about uh, the in situ situation for the species. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, I think uh, 
I think a lot of uh, coral species in Cambodia are uh, being really. Uh, uh, I, I mean, uh, there are not many attention to as attention to to do more effort to consult the other species rather than the a few species we are working on. And uh, I think the other NGOs or maybe uh, other donors should uh, start doing that. Otherwise, uh, it might be too late. Uh, for example, the uh, the classically uh, species is so rare. It uh, throughout my research, uh, many many years of research in Cambodia, uh, rock, uh, the classically is the the most rare as uh, all I can say, because we it the the species that I capture very little. And their habitat is um, their habitat uh, really uh, uh, distracted by many kind of activity like the agriculture, the um, pollution, and throughout my research in Cambodia, like I capture only I think less than five individuals of them. And from only two locations in the southwest of Cambodia, but I, I'm sure they, they, they are, there will be somewhere else. But I, in like uh, Crystal mentioned, uh, the more total in the world, you might find them more in the trade. So if you look into the trade report, you don't really see this uh, species in the in the trade, or you don't see this species. Uh, Many of these species are being sold in the market or in uh, like a food store or something like that. We don't really see them, many, many of them, really, just individually. And they kind of so rare. And I think it, uh, it, uh, in, I mean, uh, in terms of the destruction, the, um, the beauty of the species and uh, the, the less uh, concentration on the species conservation, I think uh, we should uh, put more conservation <laughs> intervention into it as well. I, I think that the, have, the behavior of the species is not helping. I mean, we have them at the center, but we, they, they never come out of the water. Very rarely, if they're out of the water, we know something is up. Um, they just not. There's so much underwater, and and really trying to also, I think, hide in the mud when they can a little. Um, so they're very elusive. Even I think even if they would be around, you wouldn't see much of them compared to certain other species who really like to be basking uh, on, on the water edge. Um, so I think it, it's a combination of, of many many factors. Um, but definitely uh, completely agree with what Sita is saying. Well, it's interesting because a lot of these species, I think, they don't maybe get as much attention. But yeah, even Crystal sort of brought up and discussing, kind of getting preparing for the the podcast, the need to kind of update the kind of statuses of a lot of these species that are not as well known maybe to the public, but just in general, right? We don't have a lot of good baseline data to work with for for many species in Cambodia and just in general. Uh, we were talking a few weeks ago to Brian Horn, who works with the, the IUCN, the, the specialist group on the yeah. status assessments. And 
I mean, he brought up the fact that for a lot of species, there's just really nothing, no sort of historic baseline and no current baseline. And so it makes things really kind of a difficult to assess. And like you're saying, it's, we're, we're only as good as our ability to search for the turtles. And if they're buried in, in mud, that's really kind of impossible to, to get down in there. You might not have an idea really at all to, to the population status. And, and they even doing the, the we've been doing pond turtle work up here for about a month in uh, at the Turtle Conservancy. And in a small stretch of river, it could seem like there's no pond turtles in there. And you take some traps out, and we pull out 15 in a little stretch. So even the pond, I mean, that's nowhere near, but it's just kind of an interesting, you know, you really have to kind of attack things from all angles if you want to understand the, where species are. And it, it, it could be an effort, I think, that, it's, it takes a, a kind of a massive amount of people and, and kind of logistical, especially when you're dealing with it on the scale of like a whole country. I can't really imagine what sort of mobilizing kind of efforts to work with. It's, it's incredible. Some of the stuff that both of you have been able to kind of do. Um, how about some of the, you mentioned kind of the national parks and getting species released in a protected areas, uh, I noticed there, it seems like there are a good deal of sort of national parks and protected spaces in Cambodia. Is, are, are these still strongholds for the turtles? Or are these getting kind of poached as well? Or, or what is kind of the level of sort of protection there? I, I think there's definitely, um, the protection is there. Uh, Ministry of Environment, um, is, is working hard there with their rangers patrolling the area, the different NGOs that are working or in conservation organizations that are helping managing these areas are really trying very hard to uh, protect the areas, um, but, but the trade is big, there's poaching going on. And I think also, like we're, we're talking about at the moment, uh, when working with CETA on um, uh, augmentation, reintroduction of um, captive bread and had started um, elongated tortoises in the Testudo Elongata in one of these areas. And we know they are there. There's records of the species being there historically and, and even more recently, but you don't see them. And and the thing with tur the, the, tur the tortoises especially, um, you walk past them, they hide, you walk with dogs, people find them, they pick them up, it's easy to pick them up. We get a lot of our elongata um, these days still from people that are working in the fields and they're with family and friends and, and others and they pick up the turtles or the tortoises and they bring them to us and they say, I don't want to take it from the wild, but if I wouldn't have taken it, my neighbor, my, my friend, someone else would have taken it and they would have eaten it. Um, so I think it's still very, very big. Um, and yeah, we, we wouldn't be reintroducing animals if we weren't sure pretty sure that we could protect them and it was safe where we were going to bring them but that being said um i think even the, the wildlife sanctuaries what it's more called here in Cambodia in the national park um they're very very much um without turtles i think even there the turtles at the moment populations have been decreased significantly um, over the years that's uh interesting yeah, that yeah, it's sort of I guess the situation in a lot of places, even in the United States, to, to a certain extent, a lot of places have been sort of just wiped out, kind of 
in total. It's it's uh, concerning and not, and not good. Uh, how about kind of maybe we can talk a little bit about the experience of sort of doing field work and and maybe for both of you if you've had sort of a favorite kind of field excursion or something that stands out something that was particularly interesting you kind of learned on a trip or something like that it's always interesting to hear that but maybe um, if you want to whoever can. Um, well, Sita and I, we were uh, earlier this year, we were up in the field together. Um, I don't spend much time in the field. Most of uh, our work is obviously ex situ and the, the field work that we're doing is, is going out to rescue or re release animals. But I uh, got a week with Sita in the field, which was good fun, um, working on our, our Elangata project. Um, my field work with turtles is more based in Madagascar when I was working for, for GSA in Madagascar, um, which was I, it's amazing. Uh, even though numbers of turtles are there are decreasing so much, you're still actually encountering wild turtles, um, at least in the area where I was was, was based. Um, and it, there's nothing better than actually just seeing a, a turtle, wild turtle, in its natural habitat um, for any any wildlife, really. Um, but yeah, my my field work is. Uh, is very limited. I think Sita has much more interesting stories to tell than I have. <laughs> Thank you, Krista. Thank you, Michael. I think, yeah, we have, I, I have a different story in the field and very interesting, but uh, one, one, is one uh, interesting uh, uh, field experience I would, uh, would like to uh, 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 raise here is that uh, in 2014, uh, when we, uh, we we had we had a group of uh, young biologists, and uh, we went up on to the like a uh, two weeks uh, field research in up in the Katamon Mountain. We 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 had like we I think uh, it's it's been a task. Uh, it was like a task trip. Uh, we had to walk across the mountain. We spent like something like uh, more than 10 days keep walking every day and then for the last for the, for the three days three, three days we had our uh, food uh, of uh, like ruined by the formalin <laughs> because we the food and more formalin together so <laughs> we, we ended up with the uh, uh, no food. We need to send our people back to the village to to get the food, and then going up to the mountain again. And then the trip, uh, the the third was to uh, was to find present of the um, uh, Manrea uh, Impressa in the, in the Carmen. So uh, in after. After like two weeks uh, in the, in the mountain in the forest, we couldn't find any individual of them. But uh, luckily, the last day we went to the village at the bottom of the mountain. We there was a, a villager had the had the had the had the species in the in his house. So it's like the whole two weeks nothing. But uh, we at the last day we found the village <laughs> so it was like it it been a task uh, field trip but uh it it was a successful one because at, at least we, 
we really uh, I we really really uh, know that the species is in the carbon. So uh, from there we start having some uh, uh, conservation activities uh, with the conservation international. So it was like a uh, tough and fun and very <laughs> good and, and uh, we can uh, identify the species for the Karma Mountain. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> I guess, frustrating, but also really good to, to find something, right? But to do all the work and then to have it kind of the last thing, right? Exciting, but <laughs> mixed feelings about the whole trip. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, that is cool. I think that there's always some interesting kind of experiences and, and just talking to everyone, you get sort of different kind of sort of stories and, and all that. How about kind of um, maybe an interesting turtle experience or something that was kind of strange, like a behavior or something you witnessed or in the, it could be in the field or anything. It's just, is there something that stands out turtle-wise, like actually natural mm -hmm. history or biology-wise? That, that might oh, be a tough one. Think about that. There's a, yeah, it's just a uh, Sorry, nothing comes to mind immediately. I... I, see, I, I just want to say, like, I used to, I used to tell uh, Crystal that uh, about the Osamis Grandis. It really, yeah, it's a good story. <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, maybe, uh, at one time, I went to the like uh, in the field pretty long. Uh, right now, it's uh, like a wildlife century. We uh, did, uh, we did a lot of trapping in. Uh, we did a lot of trapping in the rivers, in the wetlands, and um, and then um, we didn't we didn't uh, uh, we didn't catch any individual. But um, one day uh, we went to a, a, like a, a natural pond that uh, it get dry in the dry season, and when it rain, it just fill up like in, in one in one heavy rain. So uh, I haven't I, I haven't expected the the pond would have that 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 total because I didn't put the trap there, but uh, at one night we we went there looking for frog, <laughs> and then uh, suddenly we we found two uh, grandies in the in the pond. It like just they just swimming in the pond, and uh, because the the water is just very 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 new from the rain, you can water like about my size like almost two one meter meter deep but uh, i can see the total all the way to the bottom and then when i pick them up i can see like they they are on the carapace the plaster full of clay i so i i, I feel like i think that uh, the species really just emerging from the ground because it it because we, from the first start of the rain, so the, 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 all the clay is just, just still there. Right, right. So, so Cambodia, um, for, for those that don't know this, um, there's areas in Cambodia that have like very seasonal ponds. Uh, they're, they're called trapangs, but they're seasonal water holes. So after the first rains, when the soil is still very dry, the, the areas just flood 
and create these beautiful ponds in very otherwise very dry uh, habitat during the dry season. So the the, the habitat is, is during the raining season is lush and green and full of water and almost impassable uh, by by cars or motorbikes. But then in dry season, it completely dries out and, and almost all vegetation uh, dies off. Um, and that's where these turtles probably just kind of hide in the mud to just kind of get through their dry season um, because there is no water anywhere because um, the area is, is so, so arid at these times of the year. Um, and, and while you were saying that, I was thinking of, an, of a situation for, for me. So I've seen a lot of turtles come through the trade, um, both in Cambodia, but also in Madagascar. And one thing that stands out for me is that the healing ability that turtles have um, in general, like if, if they're sick, they're really sick. If you see they're sick, they're really sick and it's hard to pull them through, but they're so resilient as well. Um, in Cambodia, we've fortunately don't see many turtles being really injured. Occasionally, turtles with, with fish hooks, but then while I was working in Madagascar, um, we did come across more turtles that were having carapace fractures. Um, and it takes years, of course, to heal, but it does heal. Um, and also, some of the turtles that I see here, or tortoises, um, especially that have like the elongated tortoises that that live in these these areas and get so dry during the dry season. There's a lot of forest fires, um, and they. If you see how they survive those those fires, um, I find I find that really amazing about turtles. Their their ability to heal um, is is pretty awesome. I mean, it's really sad that they get to a situation where um, they the, the period of them being captured and and being confiscated is so long that they are uh, in so so poor state by the time they they get to wherever they're being rescued in whatever country that is. Um, the general survival ability of most turtle species is, um, with, with the right care, is pretty significant. Yeah, just just yeah. to add to uh, yeah. Crystal on that, like I think uh, the some other some turtle species are so uh, good in healing themselves from natural yeah. uh, damage. For example, the forest fire, especially the um, elongata. It uh, they are so tough animal uh, standing with fire seasonal fire every year. I I I caught uh, almost two hundred individual in Laos, uh, where I try to relocate them, uh, capture and relocate them from the reservoir, and I think uh, more than ten individual uh, being uh, so much uh, they stuck on the cell. Especially on the carapace, in one of the one of the longer down, the the top cell almost completely gone, yeah. but it's it's just it, it just survive, and then heal 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 themselves. Like I can see, like uh, the one side of the 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 top, like just like go in and out like that, just like. Yeah. Completely, it's amazing. It's amazing how they can uh, withstand uh, the natural fire and healing themselves from the injured. Adults, especially. Um, I think that the juveniles, they're too, too small, too soft still, but once they're, you know, a decent size um, and their shell is, the carapace is hardened and the plastron is hardened, they're really tough. 
Um, but on that, on that note, there's other species that aren't as much, um, like the Mekong snail-eating turtles, uh, Malemus subtriuga. Um, they are not doing so good in captivity, for example. They're extremely sensitive to uh, shell rot. Um, so those animals that we see from the trade um, coming to us, they, they really often have a lot, a lot of shell, shell rot and severe shell rot too. Um, and then it's, it's very tricky to find that happy medium between treating shell rot and not causing more stress that would then activate more shell rot. Um, so I think it's a little bit species uh, specific as well, but in general, I think turtles are so resilient. Yeah, it's an interesting point too. And I think even potentially some could be sort of a talking point for people and why they should care, because there's a lot I think we can learn scientifically about how that, that sort of healing ability works. And, and I know even some stuff has been done with that kind of looking at, at, at different ways to harness vasoconstriction and, and other sort of methods turtles use to, to heal uh, in, in human medicine. And obviously so in conservation, I feel like a lot of times, at least I'm trying to justify what we're doing with turtles in a sense, how it kind of, kind of trickles down to people. Uh, and, and I think it typically works, but that, that's, I think we can start to sort of wrap up, but maybe just a few last kind of, um, sort of questions here is kind of, I guess, what are maybe the major sort of threats facing Cambodia's turtles and what are sort of more pressing questions for the future uh, that are kind of interesting right now? Sita, you want to do this or you want me to <laughs> was going to say something? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I can I can start with uh, with this first, uh, Crystal, and and then you can add uh, add more. And I miss something. Uh, so uh, per experience working with the uh, total conservation in Cambodia, I think uh, there are many uh, many kind of uh, threats that would uh, uh, reduce the population or maybe yeah population of others. Uh, all the species. I mean, but also it depend on the uh, depend on the habitat of, and and the species as well because uh, uh, a lot of species they they inhabit uh, at uh, different habitats. Some live in the forest, some in the lake or river. So, and but uh, I can say that um, uh, sand mining is one of the 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 main yeah. issue. That is uh, especially uh, uh, really threatening to our uh, turtles. I, I think many turtle species, and especially the our uh, affinis and uh, control giant social turtles, and um, and I and also uh, uh, we have the habitat destruction, the land grabbing, and that uh, that the kind of uh, activity that uh, not really under our control and uh, it kind of sensitive, but I can say it 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 really uh, a kind of uh, um, a threat we should look into the future to solve that kind of issue, and we have a lot of uh, still going on illegal uh, hunting um, using. Uh, uh, stiff like uh, for example electrofishing that's 
that's also the main problem for many other many total species in Cambodia and we have um, uh, flooded forest uh, cutting uh, locking that uh, the kind of uh, uh, threat we, we, we have been facing right now and and we recently we, there is a trend of uh, uh, the habitat loss, uh, especially uh, wetlands. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it comes down to turtles all over the world um, habitat uh, facing similar threats: habitat loss, um, sand mining, electro, uh, the higher power dams in the, in to a sense as well. Um, Overexploitation, really, over harvesting um, is, a, is a big problem. Um, I don't think there's much to add to what Sita said um, in, in, to that extent. I think it's a, a problem that, that turtles and tortoises all over the world face. Um, and then, in terms to, to I guess, a focus of research um, for Cambodia in particular, I think it's very important to. Um, one, I think, get more Cambodian uh, conservationists, young conservationists interested in turtle conservation. Um, and there, sh there should be many more. Uh, and, and then get a, get a good sense of, of what are the populations doing, what are actual numbers, what is, you know, we're, what all we're doing now is, is a very good estimate and guess of, of what is going on. And we know populations are declining based on, on, on trade numbers, etc. but we don't have any population density numbers updated uh, base. We don't have a historical baseline and we don't have a current baseline. And I think for, for any, any work that we're doing in situ and ex situ conservation to know where are the turtles and in what numbers are they where, what are the strongholds in the country at the moment, um, it's, it's very important. And if we could get more Cambodian um, conservationists, young conservationists interested in this to, to tackle that, uh, the research, that would be really, really good. I think that would, that's, a, that's a big need, I think. Uh, yeah, thank you. I just want to add that uh, one more area of the research, I think um, if we can uh, do research looking at the uh, behavior of the people uh, in in terms of uh, total conservation, total consumption, and uh, and probably also trading. And that might be uh, the missing uh, information we, we... Very good point. Yeah, yeah we might want to look into the future. How people... It's a very good point. Pursue, yeah, yeah, pursue okay. about the total conservation. I say mid, mid. That, yeah, that and then and link to that, I guess, a behavioral change uh, mm -hmm. campaign um, linked to that the research, behavioral research of, of people um, in Cambodia, human consumption and, and trade. But yeah, how, how are we going to change people's behavior? And uh, yeah, Crystal, you mentioned too getting more sort of, I guess, scientists within Cambodia working. 
Uh, are there sort of efforts to, what are the efforts that exist to do that? I imagine in, it could be hard in certain circumstances, but kind of how, are there efforts in place to try to kind of inspire? I mean, personally, I feel like, uh, like targeting younger kids in kind of the formative years, it seems like that works pretty well in terms of getting them interested, that sort of thing. But I don't know, are there efforts kind of in place to inspire the next generation or what, how is that? It, it's difficult. Um, there, there is definitely, we in our outreach work are reaching children and, and try to convey that message a lot. Um, not only to get them interested in working in conservation, but also in, in changing behavior. Um, I think a big change that has happened over the years is that there is more and more uh, students in general interested in working in conservation in Cambodia, uh, and, in, and in particular in in-situ conservation work. Um, perhaps not as much in, in turtles as, as we would like, but um, just, just the fact that they're working in conservation, want to work in conservation in Cambodia, especially bird species, uh, is it, I think, the, the University of Phnom Penh is, um, is really good in that sense with um, promoting their uh, uh, biology course and conservation studies that, that are available, but it is limited. Um, I think we also should remember that Cambodia is a very young country uh, in the sense that there's a, a lot of young people right now. So this would be the right moment to to try to get people more interested in turtle conservation. Right, that's, you want to add something to that, Sita? Yeah, I think you, you cover most of uh, everything. Yeah. All right, well, that, that works. And then I guess our last sort of question would be, what is one sort of piece of advice you would give to someone that's younger, that's like looking to make, I guess not even, just in general, looking to make sort of turtles or conservation uh, something of a career? What would you say is like one piece of advice? I... I would say like uh, mentioned, uh, like Crystal mentioned in Cambodia, we we don't have many people working on turtles, and I think total conservation is one area that that would provide a lot of opportunities for uh, for research, and uh, it might also be a good uh, opportunity for future career as well. So. Come and come and join the the uh, the field of conservation and biology and doing research on turtles. And it's from my experience, it's a lot. Of to and, and to add to that, um, both both in Cambodia, directed at Cam Cambodians, and and also just more international. If this is what you want to do, then then reach out to people that are already doing it and see how you can help. And if they, I mean, volunteer, um, and that is really difficult in Cambodia because Cambodia is economically uh, a very different situation than other parts of the world. Um, but but if you're in that position to volunteer your time, um, then then do that and and learn from from the people that are in the field because there's so many people out there that are 
um, willing to help mentor and and mentor the, the next generation of, of turtle conservationists. Um, but I need to to know that you're interested first, um, and it, it's a commitment. Um, you know, it's not something that you occasionally do. You need to be passionate about it. You really, it is. It's it's not a nine to five job. Um, so so passion is really important there. I think. That's good to know. Sort of, I guess, inspiring, uh, I guess, uh, research at sort of a local scale, but also having that passion for it. And, uh, and, and maybe before trying to start something new, kind of look around and see where you can help. I think those are all great sort of things. And uh, so we also do something, I did forget to mention this, but we have a little, if you guys want to do this, um, I don't know if you've got, but we do a little trivia round at the end, just sort of for fun and to bring in kind of obscure turtle facts. But, and you, if that would just be you guys, if, if either of you have any kind of obscure turtle facts, uh, just kind of right on your head now that you want to ask and see if we kind of can get the answer just to kind of bring in, you know, just a fun little aspect to this. I did forget to, normally I mentioned it before, but I, it slipped my mind. But yeah. So, so you're asking us to ask you a question about turtles and you need to see if you know the answer. Right, sure. Just, and, and make it as obscure as possible. You know, it's just a little fun thing we, we like to do, but Oh, but, but you've had so many of those those podcasts already. You probably have been asked so many of these questions already. Occasionally there are repeat questions, but uh, sometimes I mean most people have got some kind of just you know weird wild things. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. But maybe some interesting Cambodian turtle facts or anything. I, honestly, we. Oh, okay, man. My, it, it just like pop up in my mom like, what is the oldest turtles in the world? Oh, so would that be like extinct or like current? Uh, yeah, include the uh, include the uh, both uh, still there now and extinct. All right, so both. Well, I mean it. The age, I, I can think of the extinct. I mean, it's not necessarily this agreed upon, but Ontosaurus africanus is one that was, I think that was right prior to kind of the, the formation of the, 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 the dermal shell, I guess, and the, the, the fusion of axial skeleton with the, the dermal skeleton. But uh, that it's obviously like debated, I think, Captor Hinidae was one that was an older family that could be like a really old stem turtle. And Priganichelys is the one that I, I think of. And Odontochelys, these are all really kind of older extinct turtles. Jack would probably the oldest age-wise. Oh, oldest age-wise. Yeah, if you were, if you were speaking more of age-wise, that would probably come down to some of the the Seychelles or Galapagos, like giant tortoises that like at least verified they're known to live as long as 150 plus years or some as old as 200 years or so. But after, once you start hitting those kind of numbers, it's, it's, it's hard to prove like, but we, there is for certain individuals, they, they've been in captivity for enough long enough time that they couldn't be any younger than that. Like, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. 
a question you were asking earlier about the uh, counter soft shelter at all and, and its size. Um, you seem to know quite a bit about that. Um, how about your particular fitness at Moly knowledge on turtle size, adult, female? I, uh, I, 632 millimeters, is that the record? Or 640 millimeters? 64 centimeters. Possible. I don't know, the female we are having is 50 something, 55 centimeters. 35 kilo, 36 kilo. Wow. See, so you have a big female as well uh, sitting at the center. These, these are yeah, old females. Yeah, I, think, about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I can actually, I can check her size. Um, yeah. you give me a second. Yeah, I can, like I'll see that's talking. Yeah, I can, see. yeah I, can, I can check it quickly in the records. I also so, wonder too, right, prior to exploitation, how big some of them yeah so our largest female is in carapace length straight carapace length is 60 59 60 centimeters and her weight is 37 kilo um and she's not overweight she's a she's a good size she's a she's a healthy healthy turtle, and she's still growing. She's not that old even. She's one of the head started uh, females that came from the BCS. So how old is she? She is, uh, hold on one second. Um, she, this, this particular female is from 2006, um, born 2006. And then we have a female that is from, I don't know, she's from, 1960, 1950, we have no idea how old she is, but she's definitely old. And she is uh, 56 centimeters purpose length, straight purpose length. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, say that again, you broke up? Can you say that again, you broke up? Oh, yeah. That's impressive that she got the right size in 16 years. Like, that's massive. That's a yeah. lot of growth. <laughs> yeah, she's she's obviously uh, had started right. So she's this is a captive female all her life. Whereas the other female that I'm talking about, she was that size when she arrived. So that's a that's a female that is that is at least sixty years old, um, and and is that similar size? Um, and it's from that animal we know female. It's similar. Yeah, uh, it's still growing. The one with around the egg with around 60, 60 years. Old. Yeah, she has reached her her size, mm. but the younger female is probably still growing a bit, and she's a good sixty centimeters. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> it's it's difficult to measure them because we don't have proper calipers that are that large. Um, with so it's it's also it might be off by you know a little a little bit, um, but not by much for sure, not by much. Huh. Well, that, that is an incredible that it's put on. I guess you could divide the size by the time and see per year how much. That's that's a ridiculous amount of growth. Very very interesting. <laughs> but uh, that that's good. We do. We've been measuring them. those animals. Yeah. Yeah, we've been measuring those animals um, on annually since they've been at ACCB. So we also can see how much they've been growing since they arrived um, at the center. Uh, which is which is nice. We do that with all our turtles. Actually, it's it's good to be able to to see that progress and development that they go through. 
Right, right. Well, um, if uh, I don't know if anyone has sort of last thoughts, but I know it's getting late for you guys, so we can uh, sort of wrap things up. But again, thank you so much for coming on, and 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 uh, both Crystal and Sita, thank you for uh, talking to us today. I think it's been really interesting sort of to hear a, a lot just about the work you're doing that that is. Uh, it's more, I guess, public, but also the stuff that doesn't get it covered as much with some of the other species and, and, and hearing about your experiences. Thank you so much for giving your time and, and we really enjoyed it, I think. Yeah, thank you guys for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah thank you very much. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. And uh, hope to see you guys at TSA. All right, yeah, so for everyone. Well. Okay. <laughs> well. All right. <laughs> yeah.